Good morning. It's so good to see you, to welcome you to Providence Church. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad that you are here. I know that we have folks that are with us for the first time. I wanna extend a special welcome to you. We're just really glad that you've come today. And for our online worshipers here at the 930 service, welcome, welcome, welcome. Also see a lot of kids in the room today are just so glad that you are here um, and glad that you're in worship today. So welcome uh, your pastors and your church love you very much. And we're glad that you're in the room. I remember when I was a kid and would have to sit through worship. Uh, the sermon is the worst part. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, but I believe in you. I believe in you that you can, you can do it. You can make it through it. Um, We've been singing here this morning. We sing here every, every Sunday morning and all summer long, we're gonna be thinking about how our singing informs uh, who we are as Christians and as followers of Jesus. So I think it's gonna be a really fun summer. We're gonna be looking at some songs that we sing and that the church has sung for a long, long time. Each week we'll be looking at one or more songs and thinking about how uh, something that we do all the time but don't talk about really does inform a lot of what we think and what we believe. I grew up in a, in a musical family. My dad is a musician, is uh, a songwriter and wrote musicals and played in bands. You can still catch him in a honky-tonk in Nashville up to this day, if you're lucky, if you're lucky. Um, but my mom and dad grew up uh, some good music in the 50s and 60s. And it was probably the music of the 70s that influenced me the most, what I heard in my house growing up, the Beatles and Crosby, Stills and Nash and Paul Simon and James Taylor. You can amen if you want any time during this. Uh, I didn't get too far away from country music. I'm from Nashville. My grandfather played on the Grand Old Opry, so Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. And of course, I'm from Mount Juliet. Charlie Daniels, you know, were people that, that I grew up with. So I, I didn't just get music over the stereo in my home. It, it, I got live and in person all the time. I got a picture of me and my dad when I was a kid, and uh, he's teaching me uh, to play the mandolin, which that is not how you play the mandolin at all. So I, uh, that one, um, but I can still hear my dad's uh, finger-picking style, you know, it just went through our hallways. Um, you guys get to hear it on Sunday mornings here a lot. My dad's also a great piano player, and the piano in our home was right on the other side of the wall of my bedroom. And so most of the time my dad played guitar, but on, on weekend mornings, he would get up early and I would wake up to my dad playing hymns, you know, or playing classical music, just kind of shaking my wall and shaking my, my bed. Music shaped me, uh, but what I've learned is you don't have to be from a musical family to have any kind of story like that. That almost everybody you talk to has uh, songs that connect with you and, and, and bring you back, bring you back to an exact moment. You have people in your life that sung over you or put music uh, into you. And singing has always been a part of what the people of God do when they gather. It's not a new thing for followers of, of Christ to come together and sing songs. Music has always been central to how people worship God. And so whether you're a singer or not, or you're one of those at church who just kind of moves your mouth along, you know, it's just fine. Um, the worship music that we sing has something to say to us and actually does more of the teaching in us than we might realize. The longest book of the Bible, it's called Psalms, is actually a very early song book for the Hebrew people, for the people of God. Most of these songs or Psalms were written by a musician, a songwriter named David. And so it's from the Psalms that we hear verses like this. Uh, Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. We come into his presence with singing. 
Another one, Psalm 147 praise, says, praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. One more, there's a bunch of them, but I want you to hear one more. Psalm 104 verse 33 says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. We just sang that, didn't we? <laughs> With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Well, that comes from our spiritual heritage from David's. And I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I'm alive, while I have being. So singing is something we do as long as we live, as long as we have being, uh, we turn our praise back towards God. I want to share with you one other verse this morning that we're actually going to look at each week as we go through this summer, kind of as a reminder of why we would even be doing this. And it's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. This was written by a guy named Paul who started churches, and he's writing to a brand new church in a place called Colossae. It's what's called Colossians. And he says this, he says, the word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I want to look at each phrase with you just for a moment. The first is the word of Christ must live or dwell in you richly. So for the people Paul is writing to, Christianity is brand new. So it's no surprise that one of the things he would want them to do, if not one of the most important things, would be for the word of Christ to be in them, for them to know it, for it to live in them. But what's interesting is how, he says, that can happen. How do you get the word in you? He says, teach and warn each other or admonish one another with all wisdom by singing singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul knew 2,000 years ago, one of the best teaching techniques is to sing, to get the word in you, to get it deep down in you. I shared last week with you an, an amazing sermon that I'm sure you remember, uh, that one of the best ways to learn is by using flashcards. But I wanna tell you, flashcards don't hold anything to singing. Singing something will get it in you quick and it's hard to shake it out. I can still sing the songs that were sung into me as a kid in church. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. You'll never get that out of me, you know, because of the folks who sang that in me. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Another one, the devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind and way behind and willing to make a deal. These are spiritual classics that teach us about good and evil. This week at Vacation Bible School, tomorrow night, we'll have over 400 kids. That's what the t-shirts are about out there. Our kids are getting their t-shirts and our leaders. 400 kids and the primary way that we teach the Bible to kids at Vacation Bible School is by singing. You'll see it all over town. That's how they do it. We'll have in different groups, the kids will come in here every night in sessions. And there were Lexi, our leader, and, and some of our students will be singing the scriptures and singing the stories into the children so that it gets in them, so that the word of Christ would dwell in them richly. 
It's interesting that many of the songs that we sing today that may be hundreds of years old, the ones that have hung on, what we would call traditional songs of the church were of course contemporary in their own day, but the sounds of those songs in their own day were actually kind of cutting edge music. So some of our most notable hymn writers, people like Fanny Crosby or William Booth, who was also the founder of the Salvation Army, actually set their lyrics to the tunes that were being used in the bars. Why did they do that? Because they wanted to see those who feel disconnected from God in the church find hope, healing, and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And so they connected the words to tunes that people were already listening to, which means if we were doing that today, we might pay attention to the billboard charts, right, and see what people are singing. Uh, I don't know if you know, there was a remarkable thing that happened on the billboard charts this year, which is one artist held all 10 spots of the top 10 at one time. Her name is Taylor Swift. Right? So if we were writing music, we might think, what are people listening to and set it to those things? But some of y'all are like, Taylor Swift. So I'll give you a little history. I, I looked up the number one songs over the last several decades. In 1960, the number one song during the summer was called Kathy's Clown by the Everly Brothers. Anybody remember that one? Okay, very good. The number one song in 1970 was a Beatles tune, The Long and Winding Road. 1980, it's still rock and roll to me. Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. All you guys were at that concert. I saw y'all uh, on Facebook. You're like, oh, I don't listen to Billy Joel. He's still rocking it out 43 years later. Uh, number one song in 1990 was a Madonna song. 2010, it was, no, excuse me, 2000 was uh, Sync. Okay, we'll move on. All right. Um, definitely move on. Top song this summer is Morgan Wallen, Last Night. But I bring all that up to remind us that every old song was once a new song. And for it still to be sung today means that it stood the test of time in a great way. And so it might have something to teach us. So this morning, I wanna start our series this summer by telling you about a song that was the number one song in the summer of 85, 1885, okay? It was written by a Swedish man named Carl Gustav Boberg. He actually just wrote a poem that was entitled, O Store Gud, which means, O Mighty God. It was a poem that he then set to a Swedish melody, uh, melody of the day, you know, something that everyone would have known, but the song just sort of disappeared. No one knew what happened to it. Until about 60, 70 years later, two different missionaries heard the song being sung in two different places. One was in Russia and one was in India. And an English missionary named Stuart Hine discovered the song and he made his own arrangement that has become a worldwide hit. In fact, in America, ASCAP named this the greatest gospel song of all time in America. In New York City, in a Billy Graham crusade in 1954, they sang this song 99 times during one weekend. And the name of the song is, How Great Thou Art. He said that the verses were inspired, the author said the verses were inspired by what he saw during his missionary journeys. The first was when he was looking at the Russian Carpathian Mountains. He wrote, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds your hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. It was during a thunderstorm he was writing the words down. The second was when he heard birds singing near the Romanian border. He wrote, when through the woods and forest glades I wonder and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. The third verse was when he witnessed people receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, as a missionary. And he wrote, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I can scarce take it in. 
This song got so deep and began to shape Christianity in America especially. Its message, its chorus is very simple. The message is, how great is God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great you are, how great you are. And in the scriptures, you will see lots of songs like this being sung of the people who love God telling God how great God is. In fact, you'll find singing in the Old Testament Jesus and his disciples saying, and at the very end of the book in, the Revel- in Revelation, it says at the very end, what we will do before the throne of God is we will sing, holy is the Lord. In fact, it's described as uh, a wedding feast, eating and singing, eating and singing about how great God is. Sort of like here at Providence Church, you know, donut, singing. It's what we do. <laughs> but it does beg the question, why do we have to tell God how great God is. Have you ever wondered that? Why do we tell God how great he is over and over and over? Well, let me tell you why it's not. Let me tell you why we don't tell God he's great. It's not because God needs us to tell him he is great. It's not like we're speaking greatness uh, into God. So does God need it? No, not really. It's not like when we're telling our kids, you're great, you're great, you're great, like we're speaking greatness in them. We want them to claim it. I watched a lot of college baseball and softball over the weekend, and I love it because you see these coaches, a lot more than the pros, they go out and talk to their their players, right? They look them in the eye. They try to get their attention to tell them that they can do it, that you're great, you've got this, throw the pitch, whatever it is. They're speaking greatness into them. Another way we speak greatness into sometimes is people who might be feeling insecure and they're kind of asking us to tell, us that, tell them that they're great. I just want you to know that's not what God is doing at all. God doesn't need you or me to tell him how great he is, either to call greatness out of God or to help God with his ego. God is good whether we tell God or not. God is not less if we neglect to acknowledge his greatness. God is God. I'm always impressed by people, though, who, you know, don't need anybody, you know, to flatter them or they're not swayed by criticism. You know, people who just kind of know who they are. Well, you can think about God that that way. God is who God is. So does God need need me to tell him he's great? No. We don't praise God because God is needy. But does God desire for us to tell him he is great? The answer is clearly yes. God desires, even commands us, that his people would honor him and worship him and acknowledge his greatness. It's why many of you who come to worship here know the song to the song we just sang about the goodness of God. We sing it all the time, don't we? We sing all the time about the goodness of God. We tell God all the time that he is great. We come in here every week and say, how great you are, God. And so if God doesn't need it, but God desires it for us, what's going on here? The question it leads me to think about is, do we need it? And the answer to that is yes. Do we need to praise God? Do we need to tell God that he is great? The answer is yes. Praise of God leads us into the presence of God and that is where we belong. (laughs) The praise of God leads us into the presence of God and that is where we belong. So if you ever wonder sometimes like, where do I belong? The answer is in the presence of God. And one of the best ways to get there is to praise God. And one of the easiest ways God made for us to do that is to sing or to uh, enjoy music. I have learned that the more I praise, the more I desire to praise God. I can think of a time when in my life I didn't, I didn't care at all about worship music or singing to God. 
But it's like the more I do it, the more I praise, the more I gather here with you guys, the more I engage in something that I was actually made to do, opening my heart up to God and telling God that God is great, the more I desire to do it. The more I desire to praise God, the more I get into the presence of God and the more I can really live. So singing as a practice, like in worship every week, is a good thing to do. Singing and making music throughout the week is a good thing to do. That's one of the reasons we created the Providence uh, Worship album that I know many of you listen to, so that during the week, as a practice in our lives, we could worship along with some of our favorite worshipers. So the question that really makes me wanna ask is, do I desire to worship? You know, if God doesn't need it, but I need it, and God desires it, do we desire it? And I think the answer is sometimes. Do we desire to worship God? Sometimes, <laughs> you know? Sometimes we're, we're all in it, we're all there, but a lot of times we're distracted. A lot of times there's other things that pull on our attention. Other times we're tired. Sometimes we're just not feeling it. You know, it's okay to admit that sometimes you're not feeling it, maybe even feeling it when you come in this building. So do we desire it sometimes? But if it's just sometimes, what can we do to get ourselves in a place where we're doing what we're made to do? And I think it's found in that verse, Colossians 3, and it's this, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. What the writer of How Great Thou Art shows us is that he began to see some things going on and they led him to a place of worship. He heard birds singing and he began to praise God. He was in a thunderstorm. He thought, man, this is cool. What an awesome God we have. He saw people coming to Christ like we do here regularly at Providence and it led him to want to give thanks to God for Jesus in his life. And so if you allow what you see in life to be a song of gratitude, you'll teach yourself to live a life of praising God. So we're about to practice, as you can tell, okay? But before we do that, I wanna give you a practical challenge for the week. I want you to think about, is there something I could do this week, um, maybe put it into the rhythm of my life, that would allow me to practice singing or giving praise to God. And this would just be you singing maybe. You don't have to worry about if somebody next to you is listening to your singing voice. So maybe you could say, I'm gonna end my night every night by singing How Great Thou Art or singing the doxology. Or maybe you would say, I wanna start my day every morning. I'm gonna listen to a worship song. This would be harder, but it might be replacing something like what you usually listen to on the way to work or turning off talk radio for a season of time so that you're listening and singing worship music. Some of you are headed to the beach, amen? I know where you're going. What if you started uh, one of your days or every day at the beach? I see, I, I see on Facebook, you're gonna take the picture of your coffee cup and, the, and you're gonna say, what a view for the week or whatever it is you're gonna say, you know? <laughs> Not a bad view for the week. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm at Mount Juliet, thanks a lot. <laughs> what if you started with the waves and the goodness of God, you know? And you just tried to imagine, you know, Cremaine leading you as you're looking out at the sea. What if this summer is the summer you begin to praise God in a new way and find yourself in the presence of God and find yourself connected to God? You know, the more you praise God, the more you'll find yourself in the presence of God. I can feel it right now. And so we are going to sing this ancient hymn with all of our hearts and praise God and see if what God says in his word is true, that when we praise him, we come into his presence. I invite you to stand as we sing. How great that...
Jesse. 